and welcome back to season two of the Art vs. Commerce podcast. I am uh, so stoked to be back. It is the new year. There's a new plan in place. We're going to try and make this as weekly as possible. The first year was great. You know, I think you start out doing something like this and um, the idea of putting out a new episode every week is just, even if you have 15, 19 consecutive good weeks, that's still not even half a year. So it's a humbling experience. It's a good one. It was a lot of fun to do. Understood the challenges of, of, of the consistency, but also I think got better at understanding what the show is, what, what I what people are interested in hearing, what I'm interested in hearing, how I like to conduct the conversations. I had a really great experience in December at Masters in Motion in Texas. It's a filmmaking conference for those who don't know. It was just awesome being able to meet and hear and talk to a lot of the people that listen to this podcast. It's You never know when, you know, online content, you put something online and then you know people are hearing it, but there's really not a lot of interaction. So to have that and to know what you guys were enjoying and, and what was resonating was awesome. Really um, allowed it to be a bit more real, to be honest. And so going into this new year, happy to say that the show has a producer now, Courtney Ryan, a fellow um, Brooklynite. She is going to be helping put things together, helping edit down shows, and helping book new new shows with new people. So please, if you um, have anyone in mind, please email her at Courtney at avcpod.com. Really excited to have the help. She's doing a great job so far, and it's it's really cool to, you know, have the uh, family extended to one more person than myself. So excited to start this new year trying to just build on it. You know, we had 19 good episodes. This is now going to be episode 20 with Joe Simon. And I think uh, we're off to a good start. We have at least three in the bank, already have a, a few more coming down the road. So, you know, we're going to try and keep the uh, the dream alive as long as we can. So talking about Joe, he started out in um, BMX originally as a biker. Uh, getting having some small sponsorships, which then led to him filming that. And he talks about how that, you know, kind of kickstarted this whole idea of being a filmmaker. Didn't think about it prior, which led to weddings. And he did some of the he ended up being one of the biggest wedding filmmakers in the country, if not the world being, you know, he did Tony Romo's wedding. He did a bunch of celebrity weddings, weddings that take him all over the world. And I think at a certain point, you know, that ends up not being enough and for those who know the high-end wedding game you know those videos are incredibly tough to make and challenging and they they tap into all of the filmmaking needs and creativity that's required to make short films so at a certain point you know I, I totally understand how you get to a place where you're essentially making short films and now you just want to do them with real actors and have more time than just shooting on someone's wedding day, which is obviously super stressful. So uh, the progression makes sense to me. He has a production company called The Delivery Men, but he also does freelance work and he was one of the DPs on CNN's show The Wonderlist with Bill Weir and he talks about bringing that ability to um, a high-end show for a big network that travels around the world and puts you in really precarious situations and the challenge of that the fun of that I think some of the themes that we touched on in the show are really great how he figured out the business side of this when he never went to college and he pretty much because BMX he was doing it from such a young age just starting off kind of being his one-man show business from the beginning and how he kind of learned and he has a um he has a unique relationship at the delivery men with Hussein Parani who's a director editor and writer and um you know my relationship with Justin Hamilton that I do a lot of work with we were able to kind of talk about what re is required when you are sharing that type of collaboration and how it's it's different I think than having just a pure hierarchy and being alone at the top the type of special things that it it requires out of the two people who are being in that collaboration but also what the benefits are. I think that was cool. And we also spoke about a passion project that at the time was still in post, but now it's out. So if you uh, check that out first, uh, it, you know, it'll definitely help inform the conversation we had on it. It's called Everything Has a Feeling. Some other videos that he wanted to, I think are good to check out before you listen is the Wonderless teaser. So you could see the kind of work that he did. And also uh, Low Tide is a short film that he made, a passion short film that he made, which I think he's trying to get more into narrative. And this is definitely um, along those lines. And his Instagram is simply uh, at Joe Simon. 
had a really great time talking to him. I, I think he embodies a lot of what I'm trying to pursue as well in terms of, you know, a lot of international work and taking that into documentary, but then having a documentary help inform how to, you know, make narrative in an easy in an easier way because you understand how to work fast and how to work on small budgets. So there was a lot that we had parallels on and it was great to pick his brain about it. Yeah, man, year two, season two, we're going to call it. Thanks for being along for the ride. We are going to be coming back each and every week. I hope. Thanks for being here. I started riding in 1994, bikes, and then rode for a few years and started riding professionally around 97. And then I basically got a camera in 1998, a digital eight from Best Buy. And that's pretty much started falling in love from there. What was the impetus for getting the camera originally? Uh, just to film myself and my friends. Like the, my sponsors were basically said, hey, we need footage of you. And I was like, well, I don't know anybody that has a camera or films. And like, well, you should buy a camera. I was like, okay. So went and got one. So it didn't even, it wasn't that you had an initial film passion. Not at all. I mean, I, as a kid growing up, I didn't really have anybody in, in my life that was like a filmmaker. We didn't have access to cameras. I didn't even have a computer until I was 21. So it's like, really? yeah, like we just weren't in that technology era, you know, like where yeah. my family wasn't. That's true. So I, because even like my friends in like middle school that had computers like 486 or 386 of any. Yeah, I was gonna say, Joe, you're not knows that, what that old. Is. I mean, no, not that old, but I think <laughs> it's just my parents weren't. Um, they just weren't about technology, I guess. Interesting. Well, yeah, because I always feel like the people that I know in filmmaking circles, they kind of fall into two camps. They were either like Spielberg and they were filming stuff since they were like six years old, or they kind of came into it later through something else. And it's not that either one creates more interesting work. I do think that sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes you can tell in terms of people that have that like initial film thing versus coming at it with a different mindset. You feel like, do you, do you find that? Do you feel like that's a, affected the way that you kind of approach things, that it wasn't this initial love? No, I, I, it, it's kind of weird because I just grabbed the camera not knowing what I was doing and just looking at other basically BMX videos and, and co trying to copy those or copying like Transworld skate videos and things like that. So that's kind of where I got my influence from. And I think it's just coming from the extreme sports background gave me that kind of uh, like my style and feel that I have now after it's evolved over, you know, different iterations of learning from the different kind of disciplines within filmmaking I, I ended up in. I don't think my approach is, it's, it's I, I don't know. I, I mean, I definitely was watching things to try to figure out what I was doing. Yeah. And I think but, earlier on, like I think a lot of, I was really cocky. I was like one of those kids like, oh, I know everything. Like, don't, don't tell me how to do it. I know what I'm doing. Obviously, I had no idea what I was doing. Is that a part of BMX culture? I don't. Or I don't like, is that partially like from the mindset of being a professional athlete a little bit? Or no? No, I, I just think it's it's one of those things like when you're, I think I, I went through phases like when you're younger or when I was younger, there's a point where I asked all the questions where I was like, didn't have much confidence in like back in high school, I would say. And after high school, I was like, fuck everybody. I'm just going to, I know everything phase when I did not know everything, but I didn't want to take anyone's help. You know, it's like, I'll figure it out myself and pretend, you know, fake it till you make it kind of thing. So yeah, I uh, mean, I've, I think that we all go through that. Like it can't, it's a problem if it goes on forever. But it's it's yeah. it's okay it's okay if it happens a little bit. I mean, what kind of growth do you think you got from kind of just doing that kind of bullheadishly? I mean, it was interesting because I think from '98 to about 2007, I was just doing basically whatever I thought I should be doing, and the internet wasn't the forums and everything else weren't really around back then until 2007 when I kind of started really getting to that realm. So you're kind of, you were just out there just watching, you know, DVDs or VHS tapes or whatever they were trying to get ideas, but it's not like you can go online and just start like yeah. watching a bunch of videos. Yeah. I mean, I think, sure. You f I feel like you could argue that that there's less that you can learn and there's obviously pros and cons to both, but there was probably less of a chance of everything looking the same, which I think in the Vimeo world that can, that does happen probably more so than yeah. before because there wasn't this whole world. Yeah. I think it is a lot of that. I mean people I, th I think especially starting out it's like you're gonna look at something and try to copy it because it's like how else are you gonna get that inspiration mm -hmm. unless you truly have like this really big artistic yeah. um just you, you have this natural talent you're born with some people do they just they have ideas and thinking that are much different than anybody else's and you can tell that when you watch their stuff generally especially if they haven't spent a lot of time you know coming up in the in the filmmaking world yeah yeah when you were but, doing i don't know how long did it take filming BMX stuff until you started, I guess, realizing that you just liked filmmaking in general and that it didn't need to be BMX related? I think it was 
I mean, not that long, maybe a year after I started doing it, I just really fell in love with it. But it wasn't until I would say 2000 or 2001 where I really actually thought like, how do I make money doing this and not have to have a normal job anymore? Because even though I was riding professional BMX, it's not like it's a full-time paid job. You know, it's like you get a royalty check or, you know, free parts or whatever it is from different sponsors. So it's not, yeah, it's not as glamorous as it might sound. Yeah, it's not that glamorous unless you're really scraping by and just, you know, nowadays it's a little bit different, but I mean, back then it was, it was definitely hard. So when you wanted it, what, what was your mind thinking about in terms of what films you wanted to make if it wasn't related to BMX? Well, I think for me, it's like, I, I never thought that the kind of the bigger world of filmmaking, like in the sense of like making a narrative film or doing a TV show is really a possibility. So to me, it's like, well, what's the, quickest way where I can still ride bikes and make money and that's like well live events and like wedding kind of things where it's like you know filming a, a concert or you know whatever I could do for money using the camera I had. So the so the wedding stuff was purely out of something that you felt was a realistic transition you can make out of the BMX? Yeah for sure it's like that seemed like an easy easy way to get your foot in the door because you looked at most of it and it was like really shitty and it's like well it can't be that hard to make it much better than what these people are doing. Well, yeah, I was going to say, because obviously you became a pretty high-end wedding guy that was doing, you know, massive weddings and celebrity weddings and international stuff. Like, how did that, how long did it take to get to that point with with that part of the industry? And like, what what kind of, did you set that goal initially or did it kind of just explode in a way that was happening organically and you you were just along for the ride? How much were you in control of it? uh, I think... I'm pretty much just, I was there for the ride, right? It's kind of a, let's do this to make money. Mm -hmm. And I still was riding BMX like till like 2004, I was doing it professionally. And so I was traveling constantly for that and then just making money doing the weddings at the same time. So I was like, well, let's just see what happens. And I think just myself, I'm a perfectionist and I'm always pushing myself to, to do better. So it just naturally started occurring to get more popular. And by 2004, I went full time just basically doing weddings at that point. I don't think How'd I you was make really, that decision? I had enough bookings for the year. And it's like, well, I have enough pre-booked. Let's just quit the job and hopefully survive the year, you know? Was it, I mean, it must've been hard to let go of a BMX dream or was it really not like that because it wasn't going anywhere or that you saw, you felt like you saw the uh, ceiling of it? Well, it wasn't so much, it wasn't so much that I quit BMX. I had a, a regular job putting in like electric dog fences, this oh, thing wow. called invisible fence. So that was like my job that I do. Oh, wow. And I had it because it was fairly easy and they paid well, but also they'd let me take off whenever I wanted to. So if I was going on a BMX trip for two weeks, they're like, okay, cool. You don't have the time off. So it was like a very convenient job. So I still was riding BMX, which I still don't do now, but I don't think I quit my sponsors um, probably until 2005 or six Yeah. at that point. But I was getting older and I just kind of like, it's like one of those things that I can't, I don't want to keep pushing myself. It's a, definitely a sport where you have to send it, you know, it's like you have to just jump down whatever 20 stairs or like do a tail up off a roof or just like you know you're gonna get hurt yeah for sure sure. every other month you're gonna be hurt and then i can't film because i can't walk or whatever it is so no that makes perfect sense um (laughs) as you were doing the wedding stuff were you was that how fulfilling was it i mean i know that if you're doing like big international jobs for it or you're doing i remember like famously tony romo's or something that i could see that being fulfilling but the day were you looking around at what other people were doing filmmaking wise and really wanted to do that or for a while were you content um i think it was basically between 2004 and 2007 like added a second team and sometimes third teams and we we're doing like 70 weddings a year like it was Jesus. like where'd you get your business crazy. acumen like where where did you understand what taught you the business side of things or was it all just trial and error? Just, yeah, trial and error, <laughs> pretty much. Uh, I, I mean, I went straight from high school to traveling doing BMX, so I didn't ever go to, to college. I just kind of said, I'm just going to start a business and just kind of did it. It was a real loose operation for a while and not like doing your own books and not really know what you're doing and always having a tax accountant who at the end of the year would be like, what <laughs> what the hell have you been doing all year? And like, this <laughs> fix all this stuff, yeah. you know? So it was... Uh, a learning process, but I think it's, uh, I, for me, it's like when I read things and a lot of the podcasts I listen to are specifically for learning about, you know, my craft or learning about business, or it's like always for me, it's like, how do I learn this? You know? And so I dive into those things all the time. Yeah. So essentially self-taught. Yeah. And I mean, as it's, as it was, I feel like I had a conversation with you, um, maybe three or four years ago where I got the sense it was a master's emotion. And I got the sense that you weren't satisfied with like what you were doing but it, it it sounds like it wasn't for lack of success 
I mean, 70 a year, multiple teams. You, I feel like in the wedding world, you reach the pinnacle of what that can be. I, I, I would say that I've always been successful at whatever I've done. And it's just because I'm really hard-headed and just I will do whatever it takes to be successful. Um, not like being like a dirtbag or anything, but like I just push myself and I work as hard as I can and stay up late nights and like I just do that. So, But to me, it's like I'm never satisfied with what I'm creating. And I think it's most artists are never satisfied. You know, it's like you finish whatever project it is and you see all the issues and problems that you that you had with it. Yeah. The outsider looking in just looks like, oh, this is awesome. But, you know, you know it could have been better. So it's like how do I push myself to make what? it better the next time? So, I mean, like 2007, we were doing a, a lot of weddings. And then I basically cut my second team like I I redid the whole business because it was like we were getting complaints I didn't like what what we were doing and so I reinvented the company and we started doing like the higher end quality weddings and that's when we really started getting to the destination stuff and more of the famous people and the real expensive oh so for a while point. you were you were doing more I don't want to like not mediocre but that you weren't focusing uh, yeah, on like a high mediocre. end thing? yeah they're definitely mediocre oh, okay yeah. If, hey, if you want to, if you want to, yeah. you use the word, then we're cool. <laughs> um, okay, so that was a conscious deci- decision then to like only do. What did you change? What changed then? Was it just people, or was it also approach? It was definitely. It was. It was really the entire. Uh, that was a approach that we changed everything in, in the sense of going from like literally doing forty-five minute linear weddings, which are boring as hell, to cutting that down to you know thirty minutes, then to twenty minutes, then to fifteen minutes. And, you know, every, every six months or a year, we kind of like bring that down until I got to the point where like, this feels like we're telling the complete story, but it doesn't get boring because that was the issue. You know, it's like, how do we make this entertaining, but find the right people that actually want to pay this kind of money to have something that they're getting less for really. Yeah. I mean, weddings are super tough. Like I've, I can, I've never done one and I, but I can just see how challenging, especially knowing, you know, your, for your client, it's like their most important day. I mean, there's a lot on the line. I think after doing them for so long, it just, it became pretty easy, you know? Um, yeah. I'd still always push myself and, and more so came to like the new gear and like, what could we do different now? Or like, what can we do with this camera or this slider kind of thing? But I think once you get the craziness down of like recording, having to record all the audio and like miking all this stuff up and like plugging into the different systems and getting all the coverage, it, you know, kind of becomes somewhat easy and i think that's why i got i got bored again you got bored yeah i think it's the easiest way to say it is that there was a boredom when you got that nagging feeling that it's not enough where was your mind drifting in terms of content because at this point you're also making things quite cinematic and you gotta i would imagine you're just saying to yourself like i can do this in other realms it's the same thing almost you're there's like a three minute arc like what's the difference between that and any other internet story yeah i mean there was there was that, and I think I, it ultimately came down to having more control, because you know, at a live event, it's it's just you, you, there's no second takes. It's you just hope that there's good light where you're going, and that you know you can get people to maybe stand in the right place and do a little bit of directing. But you know, there's always a lot of issues that you're like, man, I just wish I had actors, and I can tell them exactly what I want them to do, and I can like yeah. do the lighting. Can we the way swap out the groom because he's really not <laughs> genuine? All that stuff. And then, you know, so that kind of came down to like, we got to the point where it's like I was picking my clients and we were only doing like 10 weddings a year at really, you know, really expensive ones. So it's like, if I didn't like the people, like they literally get a questionnaire from me saying like, answer all this stuff. And if I didn't like them, I just say, sorry, it's not right to fit. And so that's what we were doing because if the people sucked, like they're, I can't do anything with shitty people, you know? Yeah. Like you were only down if it was going to be a good video, which is quite the place to be in for... For that i mean i think that yeah, that's no, rare awesome. in the industry right yeah and that's the thing that i think i stayed in it for so long was that not having when you have people that are just dying to work with you and will, like people would change their dates for me all the time and all kind of stuff that you would give them the final product and they were happy like they were so excited about it there was never any changes or complaints or anything it's like oh and you get well, there's something like, different they like, oh, were hiring an fabulous. artist to to like yeah use their wedding as a platform to make your art yeah exactly. so kind of changes the dynamic in terms of like note giving yeah and, and i think it's that's like a huge jump when you go when you leave and i was already starting doing other client work but you know when you're working with clients in the commercial world and it's like everything is constant changes and you know oh we don't like that idea because they're too scared or whatever it is it's yeah. you know it's not as satisfying sometimes when it's just someone just praising you for doing something that really is easier for you to do but 
I um, understand that too. Where it's you know? not your your yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, when you start, so it sounded like it was kind of a slow transition. It it wasn't some hard stop. How did you start getting? Because I would say that like, and you brought it up that essentially you're you're for the most part you're using natural lighting or whatever the venues have. I mean, that's a far cry from understanding how to work with a G and E team and have a three ton grip truck. Like, where did you? How did you acquire that knowledge? No, uh, same thing. Just you know trial and error a lot of trial and error and going going on to set and pretend you know what you're doing to like fake it through to you know i was gonna say it sounds like that was happening on paid commercial jobs versus like your own passion stuff for the most part no i mean i i even at the wedding stuff we were working with you know a few lights you know pretty simple stuff but you get an idea for it and then uh starting to do a lot of research online and watching behind the scenes stuff to get more details especially when you start to get on bigger projects and you you do have like you know a grip truck and a full genie team and you're supposed to tell them what to do and you're like yeah um uh yeah let me get a light over here how long did it take until you started feeling some sort of command with it um i mean i i I really started doing more of the commercial stuff i would say around uh i'd say 2011 Mm -hmm. 2012 is when i started the delivery men officially and launched the website and all that stuff so i don't even think until end of 2012 ish when i started really getting more comfortable in that doing it day in day out yeah well i mean because what did you have uh when it started going in that commercial direction was there did you have what an idea of what dream projects were like or was it just you just trying to figure it out and it didn't at that point it was just anything but weddings yeah pretty much which i mean even today it's like i don't know it's uh, it comes down to like personally for me it's until i try it i don't know if i'm really gonna like it because i'm constantly making that list of what i don't like you know every time i do a job it's like i didn't like this stuff you know and i do like what don't you like you know it's like in the commercial world as as great as it is and 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 having the clients it's a lot of it's so safe you know everything is so safe and everybody's so scared so that's at first i was fun doing that work because it was different but now it's like the same thing every time and it's like you know they want to have you know everything just all for us it's a lot of like sunsets and lifestyle work but you know it ends up being all so similar and so it's like okay well i'm tired of doing this like what's the next thing to do you know it's just now moving more on the narrative side of things but yeah i think it's just a constant evolution for me as far as like what makes me happy you know each time has there have there been things have there been any sticking points has there been anything that's like a constant theme about what is making you happy versus what pushes you off? You know, I, I definitely like doing DP work because uh, I love doing that. I love being behind the camera. I'm like, I'm like the DP that likes to operate a lot. Like, I don't think no matter what I did, as if I was even doing narrative features, I would still want to operate the camera. I just like that control and, and it's, it's very different. Like, you know, I think you have a feeling in your body of when to react and move to things and not every operator is going to be to have that same feel, you know? So, I mean, for me, that's, that's probably my huge thing. Um, I direct a lot as well, um, which I do like, but that's my kind of my, my battle is wanting to operate camera, but also directing at the same time. So it's, it's really hard. Yeah. To, how uh, are you managing that? Cause I'm in the same realm and it's in certain situations, it's, it's perfect for it, but there are times when it's not. And you're like, do you just make that call and say, I can't do both or. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, it's, it's for me, it's the, you know, if there's a lot of dialogue, it's really hard to operate and direct the dialogue because you're going to miss things like little nuances and like the way the inflection is because you're so focused on all yeah. these little elements. You could get a camera operator, but still be in charge of like the photography, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. And that's, and that's what I, I haven't done it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I co-direct quite a bit with Hussein, who's as part of the delivery men. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, that's kind of how I've, I've made it work because I'm, watching a certain element he's watching another element and then after every take it's like we have a feeling like oh that that's the take you know like that felt right or not and then we'll give direction from there so yeah i was i wanted to talk about hussein because i mean i come from having you know collaborating with justin all the time i think it's interesting when not everybody has someone that they collaborate with all like fair you know almost all the time how did you guys meet uh craigslist get out of here yeah what this do you is, mean? We've, we've been working. It was like a collaborator looking for another collaborator. <laughs> I mean, this is. I mean, this was so basically when I switched up the whole the wedding company in 2007. I was looking for a new editor. Okay. And he was just out of school, and he replied to the ad. I interviewed a bunch of people, a lot of crazy people, and then just happened really? to, yeah. What? <clears throat> what? How so? Just 
I mean, I used to get some like weird old dude in that would come and want to edit, but he was off like really just strange. You know, I don't know. Editors are really weird sometimes, and then like they really spend their life in a dark that, room. You know, it's Love just them. it's just not like we didn't we didn't click at all. It's like they yeah. they bring in their samples and show it to me. I'm like, woo, nope, that's like real bad and <laughs> not even. Uh, uh, wouldn't even fit a wedding style at all. Do you think something about that is from a, a smaller market that caused that or no? Because uh, that was uh, just Austin, right? Yeah. I, th- I think also, I mean, one, it was lucky, but two, it's just, I think the time like back in, in 2007, I think it was a little bit yeah different than it is now. Yeah. Cause there's no way now that like you know, Craigslist is horrific. I mean, you can't find anything on there anymore. Really. I you know? would never even think to use that for, anything like this it's fascinating though but you guys got on he came on as an editor and then um edited for you know quite a long time his his passion is writing he he writes a lot of stuff and also directing like narrative scripts yeah narrative scripts yeah cool so he's he's big in that world and that's like his passion so eventually as we kind of moved into the commercial world he started being able to you know use some of that passion that he he'd been wanting to to get to which which worked out really well so we've just been lucky to to be able to like work together and not kill each other because you know it's hard when you're collaborating with people constantly and uh especially co-directing because not everybody thinks the same obviously when you're when you're making decisions on that kind of stuff yeah i was gonna ask you know how did that evolve was it all because obviously when you're in a directorial position and he's editing there's still hierarchy which helps a lot because at some point you're going to disagree and someone just needs to be the one that gets the green light. How did you transition into it being a more equal playing field? Like how does, cause like real collaboration like that is so rare, I think, and really challenging. It, I mean, it definitely took time. I mean, at first it's, I'm, I'm, I'm a control freak. So, I mean, even it took a while cause that's basically, I always have the final say. So if it's like, I don't like that, then it's going to be my rule as far as like what gets done. But I've become over the past few years much more open, like just to everything on set when people have suggestions or anything that you don't have all the answers, you know, like you, like I said, you go through those phases and I went again, like back in the commercial world, like I'd know everything because it's like, I think it's that reaction of that you don't really know. So you act like, you know, so you don't look bad, you know? So I think as I learn more and you become more open, it's like, well, it's stupid not to listen to other people's suggestions or ideas because maybe yeah, they you don't have, have to say yes, but like allow yourself to vibe with it. Yeah, exactly. I, li- I like asking people stuff on set to gauge my gut reaction to it. It doesn't mean that we're going to do what they say, but I'm interested in how it makes me feel. It's pretty telling. Yeah. No, and I think that's important too. Cause it, it makes it, it just in general, like it makes a set more friendly and it makes it feel totally. a lot. Uh, it just feels better. You know, when you have like harsh attitudes on set, it just sucks. And I think that, that's something I did. It took time to learn, but you know, I'm at the point now where I'm older and I just, you think I that was a challenge for you? Cause I feel like you're it, like good vibes, Joe. No, I mean, I'm still good vibes, but still it's like, I think that it came down to like, I know what I want and mm. no, I know whatever suggestion they're going to give me is not going to be in the direction I want to go, but it's like not listening to it being like, no, 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 whatever. I'm like, so that's, that took some time then. Yeah. For sure. How how long do you think and until I think it's just it's just time on set and it's just time on set and like realizing that I, I I know it doesn't matter how old I am like twenty more years I'm not gonna know everything or n- anything at all it's like it's just filmmaking is such a opinionated yeah um, art you know like, like any art so it's you, what you think is awesome the other person thinks sucks so it's well it's, it's figuring out that it's really abstract too everybody's talking concretely about something that is literally. A figment of the imagination until it's done but the process of making it there you're not basing it off of anything tangible it's just this, these ideas that people are trying to carve out out of nothing it's hard exactly yeah. <laughs> it's real hard it's real hard it's real um hard. how long did it take until you felt like that you and hussein were really in some was there a certain project or anything where it was like you 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 noticed that having him co-directing with you elevated it past what you could have done yourself and you're like okay this is really what i want it to be I mean, I think the the past two years has pretty much been a lot of that because we're almost always co-directing stuff and we do a lot more in the lifestyle realm than we do as much with, I would say, like lifestyle in the sense that it's like there's no dialogue to camera, mm-hmm. um, which is a lot easier to, to do. And he's yeah. always watching one thing and I'm watching another. It's like, not that we're specific, like you watch this, I'll watch that. Just we notice different things that the other person wouldn't notice. And yeah, yeah. And it, and oh, I think that's when probably, you're benefiting the most from it. Yeah. 
And I think it's like even a, a director by themselves. I mean, you, you always hear the stories of, you know, I, I think directors that are really great and are, are open, even ask like, you know, the DPs about the story side of it. And like, what do you think? What do you feel? Because it is collaborative and, and you have to have that input and it always makes it better because yeah. you, you're, you're going to miss something, you know, either on set or even in the edit. And then when you come back to it later on, you're like, well, that's stupid. I wish I would have done this differently, but you weren't open about it. So you just didn't make those, those you didn't have that option to change because you didn't know what it was. So you guys were working together for a while before you started the delivery men. Is that right? Yep. When, so, when was that? 2007. Moment? Well, it was 2007 that he started with me and then. Oh, so it was for a long time. Yeah. So 2012, um, I started the delivery men and both companies were still going at the same time. It was just kind of a, just another startup that I did. What made you feel like it was the right time to do that? Like what were the indicators for you that it was a good bet? Cause it's obviously a risk to take starting a business like that. And what were the indicators to you to do it? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I just had already had this other company, you know, the wedding company for so long. It just, it didn't really, I, there was no other thought that I had besides, Oh, I need to start up production company that does commercial work because if I have just a wedding company, no one's going to hire me to do any kind of commercial corporate work. Yeah, you felt like it had to be totally different. Entities. Yeah, it had to be totally different. Did you try it first doing it under the wedding thing and have it not work out or something? No, I never really tried. Just like a lot of talking to other people and I just know this the stigma in general that people that do weddings yeah. aren't, you know, like, oh, you're not qualified to do anything else because you do weddings, which, you know, weddings are stupid. So we don't even think about that. And, and it goes the other way too that, if you're doing, you're more in the commercial well realm, brides and are like, I don't want to hire this guy. He doesn't know how to shoot a wedding. So it, it's, you know. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Think it's just how people think. How long did it take until you felt like the delivery men was off the ground and running and successfully? How long did that take? I would say, you know, we, it took us three years, I guess. Until really, you not, felt not, like it wasn't going to fold or something? No, not so much that. It's just that until we were able to cut the weddings down in the sense like, you know, we were only doing about 10 a year or 15, I think 15 a year around 2012. And then we started like doing less and less. Yeah. But to the point where it's like, okay, we're just next year. Like we're not accepting any bookings because generally you book a year out for a wedding. So it's like you put that on the books and then anything else that comes in, you have to turn it down because you don't have this. Yeah. You know, you don't have the backlog like what if it's a dope it. com- commercial gig? That's yeah. super hard, especially because those come, they come much closer to the date of shooting for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like someone who calls today and be like, oh, we need to shoot next week. And you're like, well, sorry. I'm shooting yeah. a wedding in India. Yeah. And like with all the travel and everything else, you're obviously, you're, you're gone for a while each time yeah. doing that, which I love traveling. And so an initial thing was like starting the delivery man was let's do this, let's do commercial stuff, but also traveling stuff, which we've been, been pretty successful at. Has it been something where as the delivery men got, got better the, the, or more s- stable, the, the clients grew as well in terms of like size and scope? Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we first started, it was hoping to get something around, you know, like, well, if we get a $10,000 commercial job, this will be great, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And so that's definitely grown a lot. How has your like understanding of the client relationship evolved as those responsibilities got bigger and the budgets got bigger? Things changed for you? I mean, you... you you learn a ton more about just the whole process with, you know, pitching and handling client and how to handle client on set and post-production and revisions. And just, I think everything it's, it's very much for me, it was trial and error and failing and seeing like, well, not going to do that again next time. Or like, let's add this to the contract or whatever else it was. Well, yeah. When you're talking about failing, do you have anything that comes to mind in terms of what that is? Cause I feel like there's failing that is detrimental to your career and there's failing that's like, you'll just get better at it next time. Do you have anything in mind that happened? Like a, like a, like a specific failure? Yeah, I'm curious. Um, or like, a, or like a, a real learning moment that came out of it? I mean, there's always lots of little... It's, I think it's more... It's not like anything catastrophic. It's always been like lots of little things like, well, you forget to hire a certain crew member, you know, yeah. and, some, and, and you don't have enough people on, on there or you don't get big enough client monitors or, you know, you don't have revisions in your contract and you're like doing a million revisions that never stop and you start losing money or you know like there's a lot of different things and for us at each time it's like okay we need to it's more about let's add that to the contract or to me it's like more of personal failures where it's like this mm. doesn't look the way i want it to look or like the story is not as solid as i want it to be and it's like the client's happy yeah but to me it's not like when i went into it it's my vision did not end up being my vision you know like it changed and it's like what are the things that cause that to veer off course do you, you know? feel like you've ever 
achieved that? Because I'm not sure if I have. No, I mean, honestly, I, ha- I just worked on a personal project a few weeks ago. Yeah. And it's pretty fucking awesome. So <laughs> it's like kind of one of the... <laughs> It's it's one of the one of the the small times that it's worked out, you know, the way you, the way I see it to be. What was different about it? Like, what what do you think caused that to happen? I think it's just I'm, I'm at the I'm at a point right now where I'll probably look back on this in a year and and not feel the same way. But like yeah. it's at the point where I'm also I'm I'm gonna change again about what I want to do and how I want to move forward. It's jumping into to a new. A, you know, a new realm, I guess. So for me, it's like, this is like a newer project within that style. And so for me, I'm really excited about it because it's just much different. It's what I've wanted to create, but it's just haven't had the right client to do it. Oh, it was still and commercial based? No, it's 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 personal. Gotcha. But it's well, like I haven't sense. had I haven't had a client that, won't, that will let me do it or I haven't had time to do the personal project myself because I'm too busy. So it's like finally like being able to like just, just do it. Yeah. Is it a narrative? Can you talk about it at all or do you want to? It's like, it's kind of weird. It's a, a narrative, I'd say, mixed with a documentary and uh, it's about three minutes long. It's it's not, there's no online dia- and there's no dialogue, but it's basically just voiceover and Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a really cool story about this girl who basically everybody's everybody's life is that, you know, you go through like depression and hard times and breakups and yeah. lose love and and how difficult it is. But how people this day and age really don't talk about their feelings and don't actually talk about the bad parts of their life. They only talk about the happiness. Mm-hmm. And so how she was able to really push through that by being vulnerable and sharing herself and photography and her friends like got her through that that period. So what is it about the piece that you're so stoked on? I think it's just every like creating something with with someone that's very open about their life and it's like very real in that sense. Because that but I also, guess that's the part that's documentary because it's not a scripted thing. Well, so I I interviewed her and I'm taking that interview and I'm condensing it into a script that's going to be the voiceover. So it's it's condensing it into a script, just meaning that you're going to reorder things or are you going to have her redo the VO? I'm going to redo the VO. Yeah. Oh, you are. Yeah, but just take. But just because we did like an hour interview and I obviously I, just someone talking like me is not going to sound inspirational or take you to like sadness, you know, like you need it mm. to be read bright and you need the, it to be worded in the right order and everything else. So are you going to have um, her recorded or are you going to like get a voice actor? I'm hope that she I hope that she can do it. So I'm going to try that first. And if not, then we'll do a VO. Yeah, with that's interesting. Person. But it'll still be her words either way. Right. Um, do you feel like the emotion wasn't? If you just reordered it and like cut it up, the emotion that's there currently isn't enough. No, it's uh, it's the way that um, the way that she would talk. Oh, I it's, see. It, her voice has too many high notes, mm-hmm. and so it hits too positive constantly. And I need it to be having a lower. A lower so it's the performance of it that's off. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But she's not an actor. She's a real person. So it's. Oh, no, no. Of, but you were getting genuine feelings and thoughts and yeah. all that. So it's, it's getting that and then and then taking it and making it fit what it needs to fit to tell the story that we captured. And so the shoot as well is like it was partially documentary. There's some parts where it's just, you know, we, we let her just do her thing and I just would run around and capture it as I could. And then there's other parts where it was very much more scripted in a sense where it's I want you to do this or be here and we lit it and did her different things so it's it's a it's a mix of the of both sides yeah yeah no I feel like that's definitely stuff that that I've done before too it's like a docu-narrative hybrid yeah. um yeah. but you were filming her she was the action mm-hmm. yep correct yeah and what how big was the um like the G&E stuff uh just me just you what just me. what like like a single like how many and, G- and Gina was there Gina was uh, producer slash AC uh-huh. on there because it was you know she part of what she does is she uh, takes a lot of self portraits with she shoots only on like expired film and her and her friends and you know they do a lot of um, nude photography and things like that so I want to have another female there with me that would be able to make uh, everybody feel more comfortable. Yeah, and, it's totally important. And also a small crew because it, I don't know what's going to happen. It's well, no, like you no, guys it makes, it makes sense like, being that type of subject. And they're real people and I don't want them to, to not be themselves, which is the biggest thing is like they have to be themselves or this will not work. Yeah. But we are able to capture it in a way that look, it looks beautiful. Like it's like... Have yeah. you ever filmed stuff that's delicate like that before? I mean, in the sense of uh, a lot of interviews and wedding stuff were both of those where you get into, into places where it's like you have to be very respectful and very open about the vulnerability that's happening you know like because sometimes you're interviewing someone and they're breaking down and crying and like you have to be able to 
you know, what's the next question you ask and like, how do you make them continue the way you want them to go, but still feel like they're leading it. Yeah. And so it's that, that dance, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, it's funny. It's like, well, not funny, but you, you, you've never done some, you never filmed something like that specifically, but the wedding work, it plays in the same vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerability, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Like the, the wedding stuff, like, you know, filming in the bride's room with a bunch of girls and yeah, they're, changing it on makeup or whatever it is and you have to be there to capture certain parts of it and it's like how do you do that without feeling out of being at, at a place you know and like making people feel uncomfortable so yeah no i, I, think I, I never really thought about how doing that kind of work can make you pretty good at being you know just handling things correctly in a delicate situation yeah and i think it's even like the stuff with the wonder list and we're we're out shooting in um you know wherever in the middle of the egypt or or madagascar and like working with kids and people and trying to get natural feeling shots of them it's knowing how to interact with those people and make them feel comfortable and 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 capture that stuff you know yeah how do you feel i was you know i obviously wanted to get to talking about the wonderless i guess we got here uh <laughs> so to, to to not lose the train of thought like because it is about approaching people in a way where you are expressing your authenticity or how you're genuine in in like non-verbal ways do you how, how deeply are you thinking about it proactively versus things that you've just kind of ways like how you've done it your whole life kind of thing and not really thinking about it especially you know people that it has to be nonverbal because they don't speak your language or and they're also like wildly from a different culture if they're tribal things like that you know i i think i don't know it 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 comes down to just being a normal person i think first of all because i think you can get behind the camera and just look at everything as a like it's a subject and not really a person for me it's really it's I like to use wider lenses, not like super wide. I'm like, I'm usually like a 24 or 35 and I like to get in close to people and make you feel like you're there in that environment, especially shooting like the Wonderlist. I don't want to stand back with a 200 mil lens and like, just be like getting shots of people, you know, cause it's just, it doesn't feel the same. No. And for me, I'm usually just there with the camera and, and a lot of times I have like the Moby, which on my ridiculous rig, which looks ridiculous. Yeah. You and look like a cyborg. I will go up yeah it looks ridiculous i go up to people and they just think it's really amusing and i'll like just show them the camera and like a lot of times i'll show them the screen and um, i'll flip it towards them while i'm filming them because a lot of people have not seen themselves on a camera like that before you know so it's like getting those shots and just having fun and then after i'm at a point where i feel like it's comfortable then i start just getting the shots that i know i really want right from that them you know so it's just like really just so you do dedicate time to not necessarily getting what you need but building the trust that lets you get what you need yeah exactly i think it's and and you realize very quickly when you go up to someone that what you need to do because some people were just like get that camera away from me and then obviously i'm gonna not film them at all but some people are intrigued and you see that and then you push it further until you get to the place where like okay this feels right I'm curious what it's like working because I, you know, I think that you've done travel stuff prior to this, but it's different in the sense that it is for a big network and, and the person, the on-screen talent is a celebrity journalist. How do those dynamics make it different at all? You know, it's going into it. I wasn't sure what to expect. You know, you see somebody on TV and you see the show, but you don't know really behind the scenes what makes up all of that. Right. So for me going into it, I was it was like, okay, hopefully this guy's cool. Yeah, Bill Weir, he, right? Yeah, Bill Weir. And he was like super normal. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. not what you he always seems, expect. He seems that way. I, you know, you never know what you, what they, He's, but he, I, I'm not surprised to hear it basically. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was super, he was super normal and easy to get along with and easy to work with. Yeah, that's great. And I think that's a huge thing. And also just the, the way that they approached me with it was, hey, you know, this is what we've been doing. We're open to any input or doing things, however you think we can elevate the quality of the show. And so for me that was easy i just went in and did my thing and we did a basically our first shoot in alaska and they they liked working with me and they liked what i did so they brought me on for for more episodes so it was it was, it was a smooth transition i think so it's interesting that i guess you weren't it wasn't guaranteed past alaska no it is basically one of the it was one of those things like hey let's do a contract for the single episode and see how it works because oh wow obviously you know that this was season three so they had been working with the same team for two years and throwing in a new person into that mix is you, yeah. you never know like and especially when you're on the shoot for you know 10 12 days no those are high really those are high stake situations and like really in conditions that are super hard it, at, at sometimes it's not even about your ability cinematically but like how well everybody's getting on because those conditions are really tough 
Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, some days are long and you don't have a lot of sleep or you're traveling. And if you can't just handle that, then it, it makes it really hard for everybody else, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. It's interesting that they were open. I mean, it's great that they were open to hearing ways in which you might want to change things or in, or like, you know, get creative or something. Do you have anything specific that you feel like you brought that wasn't going on? Or um, I mean, I, I definitely, I think just as far as quality, um, mm-hmm. brought a different look. I just, because I brought my Alexa onto the show, which they're mostly shooting on um, like the A7S and A7R mostly before. Um, Huge difference. And yeah, and so for me is like, I don't, I can't handle 8-bit cameras. It makes me insane. And and they love using the Movi on the show. They love keeping things moving and doing walk and talk interviews and things like that. And yeah. so uh, another big thing I did was they had generally just done only Moby stuff like on a wide lens, wide lens, like they're on 16 pretty much all the time. And so I started shooting everything on 18 to 35 Sigma lens so I can zoom and I had a focus controller so I could just get more dynamic Were you pulling your own on, with, the th- with the thumb dial? Yeah, the finger yeah, on focus. Yeah, with that. So, and and for me, like that's that's the way I shoot. You know, I do a lot of stuff, and you know, for some shots, I throw the fifty mil on there. I put the one. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of pushing. That's kind of pulling deep from the BMX time in your life in terms of like running yeah. with skate, running with bikers and stuff. Yeah, for sure. It's just my style. It's I don't think that a movie or a glide cam or Steadicam is meant just to have a wide lens. That makes no sense to me. You know, like it's great to show landscapes, but when you're starting to show people, you need to show that emotion or like capture details. And still get movement. Yeah, to I them. totally agree. You have to you have to have different focal lengths to do that. Yeah. So and it's very run and gun. So it's like I can't just have a prime on there most of the time, or I'll, I'm gonna miss something. So having that 18 to 35 was a nice nice range that that I, I really liked. Yeah, and it worked really well. So yeah, and I mean even at a 35, I guess the focus wouldn't be that insane. If you went if you went yeah. deeper, that it starts to get hairy. I'd imagine. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. And I think when you're, when you're, especially when you're doing like a walk and talk interview with the two people, you know, it's like a two shot, it's like closer than 35. It's, it kind of, you lose your whole background. That's not what you want to do. You need to have some still in there. Yeah. And I mean, I know that, you know, like we were saying the pretty much all of the aspects of this project are not, they weren't anything that you hadn't done before in terms of the travel and documentary filming. Were, did anything catch you by surprise? Was anything totally unique in this that you were like, yeah, that's a, there was a learning curve? Uh, not so much a learning curve, but I think it's in general, I've never done um, productions like this where I'm not also part of producing it or my team's not producing it. Oh. So is going in a little bit more blind than I'm used to. You know, I'm usually like I have location scouted stuff and I know like everything that's happening, even on the documentary stuff. Like I'm real like want to know everything. Were they not uh, giving you inform like informative emails and things? No, no. We get like a whole, you know, we get a whole PDF packet of like everything that's happening. But, you know, things change. Right. Um, and and there's n- I have no control over that and they have no control over that. So it's you're just kind of like, well, we're going to do this now or do that, yeah. which is I'm used to. Like I can I can, you know, quickly change what I need to do. So I think that was probably the hardest thing for me is is more so not being so involved in the in the producing side of it. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. It really especially when because I'm the same way. A lot of my stuff is produced either by me or people on my team when I'm, when I'm just a hired gun. There's this sense of uh, I don't know. You're kind of just you're outside of that. You're you're just yeah. you're you're just here to keep it in focus. And I think and also for it's it's the show is it's really about the story. You know what that story is we're trying to capture. So a lot of times it's not perfectly planned. Like well let's be here for sunrise or here for sunset because of the light. It's more like well this person's available so we need to do it. That yeah, time on, especially for so, that international stuff. You're at the whim of people that are not basing anything on that. You're you're at the whim yeah. of their life. Where, where, where yeah, were so, your other episodes? Uh, we did Alaska, Madagascar, New Zealand, and Egypt. They so, all so seem... Pretty good spots. Yeah, I'd bet they all have quite different challenges. Yeah, they were all interesting. I think it's... I think every place you go... We would go to... We're there for, you know, nine or ten shoot days and then the travel days. So by the ten, end of each trip, it's like I'm ready to go home because, you know, it's like you're either in a place like super dusty or it was raining a ton or... You know, you kind of get tired of being in that environment after a while. And oh, so yeah. It's, <laughs> but it was, I don't know, it was, it's really incredible to the access we have to like seeing sites or like meeting people. And, mm-hmm. and that's really cool to, to be able to do that. Did it open your mind to um, maybe any, any new there? or bigger goals for future work? Sorry, some- Where are you looking for, I guess, yourself or the delivery men moving forward? I mean, I, I think. Personally, um, it's been it's definitely been a new experience being able to work on a you know work on like a 
series for a, 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 t- a TV like a station, you know. So that that was really cool, and I love doing it. You know, I think more so right now. I'd, I'm trying to pursue, I'd say, more narrative side of things. So mm-hmm. trying to do, I'd love to do, you know, some feature films or like a, a TV series that is narrative based. But I haven't really done that yet. So it's once I do that, will I actually think that that's what I want to be doing or? Or will I be like, well, I like the documentary stuff better. So until I try it, I don't know. But I think either yeah. way, I'm trying to do bigger stuff. And I'm really trying to do more, I think, in the, the DP side is what I really want to push in the, in the higher end stuff. But who knows? Why, why do you think that is? Maybe. It's- I just, I love the image so much. I think I, I, I enjoy the image more than I enjoy... I would say directing actors. So who knows? But at the same time, I think I like control and I like, I like developing the story and I like doing all that stuff. So it's, it's a real weird split. So I don't know. I'm sure over the next year, I'm going to figure out what it is that I want to be doing as I do the different things. And also I had a conversation with Michael Slovis of Masters of Motion. Yeah. And uh, I was like, I asked him, I was like, well, why did you go from being a DP to a director? Like, what was your, what was your reason? After so long too. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it's like, did you not love it anymore? Like, what, why? And he said, you know, do you want to have, you want the real story or do you want the, 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 the fluffy story? And I was like, no, just tell me the real story. And he said it was basically because DPs have no control anymore in the, in the narrative world because everything is digital and mm. really, you know, decisions are made, are, are being made so much in post that changes what, you know, the DP wants to do on set. So he, so he made this didn't want to have lots of control. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, that's interesting. I mean, I, so that's, that's, that's the, to me, it's like, well, that kind of sucks. It's like, well, mm. if I'm not going to have that control as a DP, like I don't, I won't want to do that. You know, that's not, you know, that, that sucks. He would, I mean, he's baking everything in on Breaking Bad before he made that switch, you know, like he, he was using all the filters on camera and they were, you know, they were shooting it uh, on film. So that's like, that's what they're going to get. Like you're, this is the image when it's done, you know, you can't yeah. change that. No, it's amazing on him where he, essentially he, he made a credit switch because he didn't want to switch his control, which yeah. is fascinating. Yeah. So I find that, I find that interesting. So who knows? And maybe I'll see like, as being a, just a DP on projects that I don't enjoy it because I have that lack of input on how the story is going to be told or, you know, mm. how the narrative is going to work. So I, I who knows? Yeah. You have to be discovered. Well, look, you know, get a few narratives under your belt and then we'll have you back and we'll, we'll <laughs> yeah. ask you how you feel about it. <laughs> Easier said than done. I think that's well, the hardest yeah. part. No, we'll give you some time. We'll give you some time. It won't be, it won't be this month. Yeah, there we go. That sounds there better. You go. Cool, man. Well, thanks so much for sitting down. I, I, uh, I've been looking forward to this talk. It's good to, yeah, it's good to uh, hear your, the, the full background after knowing you for so long. Yeah, you as well. Good chatting. Hopefully uh, this is uh, somewhat entertaining. Thanks, man. Thanks, man.